0: listening to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast with Aaron Hale and Mike Ferrier as your hosts. Subscribe to the podcast at CanadianStreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria. Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast. And for this week I have a special treat. Um, I get to uh, share a sermon with you from a man who I am eternally grateful for and have been tremendously blessed by. And that is my pastor, uh, Pastor Ben Lane. And so this is a sermon he preached um, several months back regarding the role of the Holy Spirit. And it was just one of those sermons that the Lord tremendously blessed me with. And it's been something I've been recently trying to uh, study further. And so I just thought that I would share that with you. Um, He has given me permission to do that. And so I trust you will be encouraged and blessed as, uh, as many have from this message. You'll take your copy of God's Word. Join me in John chapter 14. John 14, that's where we'll start this morning. I know some of you are thinking, hey man, I thought we were going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't that start in like Matthew 5? Yes, it does. But that's not where we'll be today. We're going to sort of sidestep for a moment and... uh, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to, especially as week in, week out, we take a, a portion of Scripture and we just walk through it together, uh, no matter what that might mean. If it means taking a, a word and looking at it and, and trying to figure out what the Lord has to say, uh, asking the Spirit to illumine those things, many times that's what we do and we just walk through a passage, but this morning is going to be a bit more dum-dum-dum. Topical, topical. We're going to look at a topic this morning that I feel like we need to address before we go any further. Uh, before we take an, our next step and we look at, at the Sermon on the Mount and we hear the words of Jesus and the things that he would teach his people and his disciples, uh, there, there's a, an issue that we need to, to look at. Uh, from a scriptural perspective. And so I want us to consider this morning the main role of the Holy Spirit. The main role of the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we've noticed the Holy Spirit in the last few weeks. If you've been here, when we looked at uh, Jesus' baptism, we saw him. We saw him manifested. He came down uh, it, like a dove. Uh, and, and came down and, and anointed Christ for his work. He made much of Christ in that moment. And then, the next week, we looked at the temptation, and we saw that it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leading him into the wilderness. And so, uh, we've seen him in the last couple weeks, and we didn't stop and like take note of that and, and really go into depth on the Spirit. But we have an opportunity this morning to do just that. And, and the reasons why are, well, I have a couple reasons why. One is you may never have heard a sermon on the role of the Holy Spirit. It's true. It's not really something that, especially in our denomination, uh, that, that we talk about much. He seems to get left out quite a bit, uh, which is a shame because he's an integral part of our lives. He's a part of the Trinity. He, he is God, and so we need to, th- to think about him and give him uh, the respect that he's due. However, I think we also shy away from him because of the things that we see attributed to him. Whether it's in Scripture, when we look through Acts and we see things going on, or whether it's outside these walls, um, and we see others doing certain things in the name of the Spirit of God, which might not necessarily be the case. Um, it's almost as if the Spirit has been labeled this party guest, and he's that party guest you want to kind of tiptoe around, because as soon as his jam comes on, he kind of gets out of control a bit, and we're just like, uh-oh, you know, that sort of thing. He makes everybody kind of feel uncomfortable. Uh, that might be uh, the case that you, you know, the idea that you have in your mind of the Spirit, uh, but another reason why I wanted to, to look at it is because of some things that are going on around us. Uh, even here in town, there's an event that's happening monthly, and it's based on a great premise, but I believe it's lacking in practice. You know, even many of the churches in town uh, really focus upon the Holy Spirit. You can even see it on their sign, where on their sign outside, they'll have a dove. But the truth of the matter, if they were really really spirit filled we would see a people who didn't have the dove represented and i 'll tell you why as we go along now there are a couple of introductory passages I want us to look at as we begin our journey today and and here's the thing about these passages that we look at they are quotes from christ, so it 's Christ who's teaching us about the role of the holy Spirit. Now this is before the spirit has come as you Well, no, here in John 14, and then we'll look at 15 and 16, some passages, because during this discourse, God, uh, Jesus, speaks on the role of the Holy Spirit, and so we want to look at that. Now, as we're in John 14, I just want to tell you, uh, this is referred to as his farewell discourse. And the reason why is because, well, he's leaving. He knows that his death is imminent. Uh, He is in the upper room with his disciples, and he is teaching them things that he feels they need to know before he leaves them. And in John 13, the disciples have gathered in that upper room, and they begin to celebrate the Passover with Christ. It would be the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples before his death. And he has washed their feet He has told them of his betrayal. The betrayer, Judas Iscariot, has left the building, and it's just Jesus and the eleven. And it's just the twelve of them. And he begins to teach them in one of the most unusual discourses that Christ has because it's almost uninterrupted. Now, we'll even see as we read today, there is an interruption. But most of the time when you see Christ speak and you see him teaching his disciples, a lot of these guys will just speak up and interrupt him and be like, well, wait, Jesus, how about this? And then they'll begin to ask him questions. There's not as much of that going on during this time because this is an important time. I think they all get it. Jesus knows it's important. The men there, there's this serious tone about what's taking place in this discourse. And so before we look at these passages together, I want to pray and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we just, God, I thank you for it. I thank you that it is, it is a sword, that God, it has been used time and time again by you to to cut me when I needed to be cut, to convict me, to draw me to you. For us to find sweet fellowship together here in your truth revealed. Lord, you, you tell us all the things that we need to know. And God, sometimes we we misunderstand we, we don't understand the Holy Spirit. But Spirit, we we ask that you would illumine our hearts to this text that we might see fully that what you do is glorify Christ. We thank you for him. It is only by him we can come. It's only in his name that we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to marvelous things in your law. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read a couple passages here. We're going to read all three of them. And then throughout the the course of what we do, I'll be taking from each, uh, each verse that we've seen. But John 14, Jesus begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit's coming. And he begins to teach them in verse 15. But I want you to scan down to verse 25 and see what he says. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit. Now look, here's here's a roll. Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So now I need you to to flip the page to uh, chapter 15, verse 26. Maybe it's on the same, I don't know. Um, But it's there, uh, chapter 15, verse 26 And Jesus continues, and he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And now, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 12 is where we'll pick up. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them right now. When the spirit of truth, there's that name, spirit of truth, of truth is just a designator for who the spirit is, is and what he's about. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And ultimately and chiefly, verse 14 He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In these passages, it's evident that the Holy Spirit ultimately has one job. Now we've seen roles. He has many roles, but there is one role that, that sort of supersedes everything else because everything that he does ultimately leads to this end to glorify Jesus Christ, to bear witness about him. But also, as we saw there in 1614, he will glorify me. So everything that he does centers around that premise. The other things given before that statement are simply ways in which the Spirit will accomplish that work. He'll bear witness. He will do these things in my name. He will do all these things, but ultimately it will lead to me being made much of, to me being glorified, Jesus says. And here's the thing about the Spirit of God He knows His role. The Spirit of God knows His role. We see it throughout Scripture. He he knows that He is not the main player in this drama of redemption. He knows. The Holy Spirit knows full well that Philippians does not say, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, The Holy Spirit is Lord. He knows that. He knows that the Holy Spirit is not the name above all names. His role is this, to guide into all truth. And here's the thing about guiding into all truth. Jesus tells us in chapter 14 of John, He is the truth. He is the absolute embodiment of the truth. So if the spirit of truth is going to guide into all truth, what do you think He's going to do? He's going to make much of Jesus. That is His goal. So... He stood before Pilate the next day, Jesus did, and he said, I have come. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify about the truth. He's saying, I came to testify, to be a witness of who? Of of myself. I came to reveal truth. I came to reveal God in the flesh, God incarnate. I am the son of man. My kingdom is not of this world. I've come to this world to testify of truth. We saw it at his baptism that even the father knew his role in the redemptive drama. And you know what that role was? To make much of the son of God. To make much of his only unique son. He has given him the name above all names. You know, we saw it at his baptism. We we remembered that the, the sky was schizo, that the sky was ripped open. And when the sky was ripped open and there was a voice from heaven, it did not say, I am the Father and everything this man does is to glorify me. Now, it was it was because each member of the Trinity points to someone else, but Jesus also knows his role, and he knows that he has been given the main role. His name is the name above all names. But even though the Father was given glory from the Son, the Father gives all glory and honor right back. He does. And the main goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and magnify the person and the work of Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit does nothing to glorify himself. And if you're a part of something in which the Holy Spirit is being elevated above everything else, that should help throw up some red flags. That something here is off. Now, why would that be the case? Because everything that the Spirit does points to the Son. And so for him to make much of himself would be something that the Spirit does not do. He just does not do it. In a place where you might find th- this thick Spirit of God, you'll see Jesus being glorified above everything else. Now, you might think, man, you are a broken record, but I want to instill in you the scriptural truth that the spirit of truth leads you to Christ. He does not do anything on his own accord. He doesn't do anything to make much of himself. He does everything to bring glory to Jesus. Now, a spirit-filled preacher will do this. He will point you most To the person and work of Jesus Christ. A congregation filled with the Spirit will worship in spirit and truth. We're told that in John 4. But an important part of the Spirit being the Spirit of truth is that He guides us into all truth. And the embodiment of that truth, that truth revealed, that truth manifest, is manifest in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, if the spotlight is placed on him, he will always deflect. He will always deflect. He knows his role is not to be the center of attention. He knows his role is to point people to Christ. And so the spotlight goes on him and he holds up a big mirror and shines it on Christ. You might see him for a moment. But the lasting result is not what the Spirit has done. It's what Christ has done. It's what Christ has done. And you know, it may seem as what, if, if what I'm saying are just semantics. It, it might. But I assure you, it's not. It's not. Because many of our family and our friends, they're being caught up in like charismania. And they're being led away from the truth of what the Spirit really does. And we find their focus being shifted away from the end goal to the means. And it can trip, it can trip you up because the spirit is not the end. The spirit is the means to the end. The end is making much of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing we find so often people's gaze is upon the Spirit, upon his operation. But not the goal of his ministry. The Spirit has a goal in ministry. And when the Spirit is focused on, his goal is being left out. See, most often, those that focus on the Spirit will focus on the supernatural, or they'll focus on on the signs. They're sign seekers. But we have talked about, and we've seen from Scripture, that sign-seeking is an earmark of a wicked and perverse generation. Christ says it himself in Matthew 12, 38-42. Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and he tells them that this is the case, that, that only a wicked and a perverse generation look for signs. And he says, there will be one sign given to you, and it will be the sign of Jonah. And even in that... Even in the sign of Jonah, what Jesus is doing is saying, I'm the one who's going to be focused on. I'm the one that's going to be made much of. Because Jonah is just a foreshadowing of three days in the belly of a whale, three days in the belly of the earth. Spit out, resurrected to life. Spit out, resurrected to life. You will see me shine through. That will be the sign that you need. The sign is my death burial, and resurrection. That is it. And the Spirit comes alongside to point us to that very thing. We're told in John 14 and in 1526 that the Spirit would be sent in Jesus' name. That, that's, that's why He would be sent. He, he would be sent in Jesus' name. Of all the Spirit, all that the Spirit does Here's what he does. He champions the name of Jesus, but above all else, he, we see he would remind us of his teachings. That's what he said. He said, he'll bring to remembrance the things that I've taught you, and he'll bear witness of my work. And here's the thing about the witness. The witness would be unique. John 16, 13, and 14, we read this, that the Spirit does not speak on his own authority. He glorifies the Son by what he speaks. The work of the Holy Spirit, we we see most often documented in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. And now, Acts is the narrative of the beginning of the early church. We don't gain our practice In church life from a narrative. We don't. Because a narrative is not normative. It's informative. It's for our information. Not our imitation. And in the book of Acts. The spirit is seen 59 times. Over half of those times. 36 of those times. He's speaking. Guiding. And instructing. So join me for just a moment in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to get the outline of the entire book of Acts, but we're also going to get a statement about one of the Holy Spirit's main roles in the redemptive drama and in the beginning of the early church. And in verse 8, that's where we find this, this outline for the entire book. The role of the Holy Spirit is spelled out yet again. Look at what it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, in this text, we, we have spelled out for us three different things, the power, the purpose, and the plan. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be given you in order to clothe you with power, There's the power. The Holy Spirit is the power that is given us by Jesus himself. Because the Spirit comes in his name. And in his name, the purpose of having the Spirit is to bear witness. To bear witness. The original word here is marturion. We get our word martyr for it. They knew full well what the Spirit was given to them to do. To give their life, to forsake all and follow him. They knew what it would cost them. Do we know what it cost us? It's the same thing. It should be the same thing. And that's the purpose, to be the witnesses, to make much of Jesus, all in order to fulfill the plan. And the plan is to see this take place throughout the ends of the earth, everywhere, Because one day we're told in Habakkuk that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like water covers the sea. Has anybody seen the the sea? Water covers all of it. That's what makes it the sea. And one day we are going to see the glory of the Lord cover the entire earth because of the power, the purpose, and the plan here spelled out in Acts that started then and is continuing now. And now in the next chapter, we see that to start to take fruition. We see it take shape. The day of Pentecost arrives. These guys get together and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And finally, on this day, the Spirit is poured out onto them. And then you can't help but notice the Spirit's presence at Pentecost. Because it's, but, but here's the thing. When he's noticed... When the things that are taking place begin to take place, the Spirit immediately detracts from Himself. Now, how is that the case? Well, the Holy Spirit uses the apostles and He grants them tongues. And these tongues are actual glossa in the original language. Languages. They're original languages. That's the reason why all the people that are around are going, Hey, I understand that guy. He's speaking my language. That's what takes place. I just wanted to let you know that. And so those present hear in their own language, in their own tongue, what do they hear? They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Spirit at work in their lives is proclaiming the name of Jesus. And he is pointing them to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so Jesus is glorified. And he's raised up, and men are drawn to him that day. We're told 3,000 are drawn to him that day, because when Peter gets up, filled with the spirit, he preaches, and they're cut to the quick. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but John 16:8, we see that coming into play there at Pentecost. We see it being fulfilled. When we see another another thing the spirit will do is glorify Christ and when he comes verse 8 of John chapter 16 when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment in making much of Jesus he convicts people of not being like Jesus do you see that that, that they're not like Jesus in their own flesh and in their sin. And so the Spirit's work is to go, you're not like Jesus. But Jesus pleases the Father. You need to be like Jesus. And their hearts are cut to the quick. Because verse 9 says that they're, they're convicted concerning sin. Because they do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you won't see me any longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So, when the apostles preach, when they're done preaching, Acts 2.37 says this. Now, when they heard, when the audience heard all the things that they had been preaching through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving them utterance to speak to those near them in order for them to hear in their own language. They heard this and they were cut to the heart. So the Spirit, in bearing witness to the truth, convicted men of sin. That's the power, the purpose, and the plan. And you got to love it when a plan comes together. Am I right? Now, This song and dance is done throughout the book of Acts. It's done throughout the book of Acts. The gospel is proclaimed through the Spirit's work in glorifying Jesus. He convicts men of sin, and men are saved. Men and women are saved by the power of the gospel because the Spirit is working within them. Because Jesus told them, don't go out into the world all willy-nilly right now. Wait for the Spirit. Because when you have the Spirit within you and He's working within you, He's going to accomplish His work and His work is to make much of me. And that's why I'm sending you out. So, over and over again, this takes place. The methods are sometimes different, but the formula is the same. And throughout the book of Acts, never do we see the Holy Spirit take spotlight. Never do we see him make much of himself. When he flexes, when the Spirit of God flexes, you can't help but notice But it's only for a moment because through his work you become so enamored with Christ you forget about the Spirit. That's the point. The Spirit makes you so enamored with the beauty and the glory of Christ that you forget about the Spirit altogether. And you know what? The Spirit's like, absolutely. That's exactly the right thing to do. Forget about me. Look at him. J.I. Packer says the Spirit's message to us is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. And that's the work of the Spirit, and you know it's manifest In the life of someone whose very purpose was to make much of Jesus. So much so that the Spirit of God was given to him in utero. John the Baptist. We see it in his life and in his ministry. John was filled with the Spirit from the womb. And when Christ comes on the scene during John's ministry, he's always making much of Jesus. He is. Like, he's he's far off. And he's down in the river and he's like, Hey everybody, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And that that is a spirit-filled ministry. He he immediately detracts from himself and the thing that's going on. And he says, look, look, that's the one. I told you, he's greater than me. I, I can't even lace up his shoes, he's so good. Look at him, be enamored with him, follow him. And so after a couple of times, a couple guys go, okay, we get it. And they follow after him. Later, some folks would be like, John, aren't you upset that down the river here, uh, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people? Like, do you not understand? We had the first Baptist church and now they're down the river and they've got a second Baptist church going on. Aren't you? And now people are going to him and he's like, folks, listen right here. I told you from the moment we saw him, it's all about him. I must decrease and he must increase. And his ministry was completely, completely about the Spirit of God being on him, anointing him to preach to the people. He had a Spirit-filled ministry, and we see the Spirit at work in it, in that all the times that, that Jesus is brought to John, John's like, he's what it's all about. Don't look at what's going on here. Look at him. The Spirit is evident in a ministry like that. The Spirit is evident in our lives when we endeavor to make much of Christ. When we point people to Christ we are being, we are manifesting a life that's Spirit-filled. We are. One of our core values in our church is this, to emulate Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> but, but one of our, one of our core, core values is, is freedom in Christ, to, to emulate Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is given us... Seal of salvation. It's it's the down payment of what God has done in your life. He he convicts you of sin by the spoken word. And when convicted of sin, regenerates your heart and stays there. He cleans the house up and he lives there. And in so doing, his work from henceforth in your life is to conform you into the image of of Christ. That's his entire work in your life. To conform you into the image of the son. And then it's, it's an interesting work. Of the spirit in our lives. And, and it's, it's not so that we can make much of the spirit. The spirit doesn't come into your life to say. Okay now that I'm here. I'm going to be doing some things. Make sure that when these things happen. You make much of me okay. Since I live in you. Because that's not how the spirit Response. That's not what he says. That's not what he does. We've seen that up to this point already. He glorifies Christ. The work of the Spirit in us is to conform us into the image of Christ. Here's the thing about the Spirit. The Spirit so loves and wants to glorify Jesus that his work in our lives is to make us all look like him. Like he loves Jesus and he wants to make so much of him that he wants all of us to look like him. That's the purpose. Now how is that done? How does he do that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here's what Paul tells the Corinthians about this. And we all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit leads us to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And in beholding the glory of Jesus we cannot help but to desire to be more like him. We can't. The Spirit opens our eyes and illuminates our hearts and shows us through his word, through Christ, through, through the word of Christ, his revealed word, that, that he is awesome. And because he is awesome, we can't help but go, he is so awesome. I'm floored by His glory. I'm floored by His beauty. And I just, I want to embrace it. I want to be like it. Uh, Let me be like you. Please. And we're drawn to treasure Christ above everything else. And if that is not happening in your life, get in the Word and let the Spirit guide you to the truth to jesus because that is his goal and it isn't and this is not done hear me this this drawing us up showing us his glory making christ beautiful to us it's not done with some vision or some dream it's not done with some extra experience in emotionalism it's not it's done through the word of god That's why we have it. His word is absolutely sufficient for us to see and experience Christ Jesus. It is. And now, we need to be careful in this moment as well, because I don't want us to leave this place thinking, well, we are about the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. No. No. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We'll give Him His due. He does His work. But what he does is he illuminates the scripture in order for us to get a good look at who Christ is. Because all throughout, he's going, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at him, look at him, follow him, see how great he is. And from the beginning of this book to the very end of the word of God, it testifies to Christ and that all we need for life and godliness is found right here in the Theonustas God-breathed word. He spoke authoritatively to the writers of Scripture. He overshadowed them with the Spirit and they wrote what he, he wanted. We, we like to ascribe here to verbal plenary inspiration. That the words given are the words inspired and written down and attest to Christ Jesus being Lord above all else. Every time God speaks, it's authoritative. You hear me? Every time that the Lord speaks, it's authoritative. Now, the spirit of God leads, guides and directs. How does he do it? Through the word of God. If you're hearing things, we need to talk. When the Lord speaks, it's authoritative. All throughout scripture when we see the Lord speak, that's the case. So if anyone says that they've heard from God or they have a word for him from him, excuse me. The standard is scripture. That that's it. It's not like and what many times happens is that people will say, well, I've, I've God spoke to me, and so here it is. And then when it's tried and tested and it fails, it'll be like, well, you know, sometimes that's the case. No, no, that is not the case. Because when God speaks, it's always authoritative. It's not as if he spoke authoritatively when this was going on, and now he doesn't. He may, from time to time. It's iffy. That's not the case. When God speaks, he speaks with authority, and he backs it up. People are verified, and we're instructed because of this to test all things. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, okay. John, we're, we're following John. And if anybody can tell us, it's John. John was there. He was, he was a member of that farewell discourse. He was clued in to what Jesus had to say, and now it's close to the end of his life. He's seen these things manifest. And if anybody's able to tell us, it's, it's John the Elder. It's John the Elder. And here's what he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ, not necessarily, because even the demons believe and they shudder. It's not about that. He is particularly talking about daceticism, this Gnosticism that said Jesus didn't come in the flesh, and he's combating that. But here's the thing. You know the Spirit of God because it confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is God. And is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. He's talking about him and the apostles. The word of God. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A person who is obsessed with the spirit is manifesting an attitude that's contrary to the spirit itself. Do you get that? Someone who is obsessed with the Spirit and what he does is doing exact opposite of what the Spirit himself does and purposes. Any extravagant vision that one claims to have of Jesus Christ is just that, extra. It's extra. Extra. Because what we have is what we need. There are no modern visions of Christ that share the same sentiment as the visions given in Scripture. Especially not of the one in Revelation 1.17. Where John, who writes this very thing that we've been looking at, sees Christ in his glory and falls down as if he were dead. And wishes he were dead. Because the Christ that he sees resurrected is not the Christ he knew bodily. He is incredible, and he wishes he were dead just being in his presence. You don't get a lot of experiences like that nowadays. In fact, most modern-day visions are beautiful, airy, and feminine. It's truth. We see that. And in the end, they're unbiblical. They're unbiblical. John falls down scared out of his mind, wishes he were dead. That's a real encounter. That's a real encounter. And we won't experience that until death or until Christ comes back. And if you're in Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit. He's the seal. He's the down payment for what what God has done in your life. You have him. His primary place in your life, now and all times, is to glorify Jesus and make you look more like him. That's it. If it's anything else, it's extra. It's to make you more like Him. The tool that the Spirit uses is finished. It's the finished Word of God. That's the tool He makes you, He uses to fashion you to make you more like Christ. If, if someone were to ask you how the Spirit leads us into all truth, you can be sure He doesn't do it as if He were speaking to you on a telephone or individually to give you new revelation. He prompts you to read and to listen to the teaching of the truth of Scripture. He leads you into remembrance of what Christ has taught, remember? He leads you to the place Jesus has taught us what to know. The truth of the revelation of Christ, and we have it in His Word, and His Word is enough Which is why I tell you, week in, week out, be in the Word. You've got nothing else. Because what the Spirit of God will do in your heart and in your mind is to lead you to Scripture anyway. So won't you just take out all the other and just meet Him there? Just meet Him there. You know, it's interesting that we've had 2,000 years of Christians up to this point. And you know, they have not been wandering around yearning for some direct revelation in order to go forth in their walks. Have you ever thought about that? They haven't. Because He's given us a standard. Those who have come before us have known that. The Scripture is our standard, but the problem in our day is that no one wants the Scripture. We don't want the Word. You know why? Because people just feel it's not enough. So dry or bland or this or that. Well, no, it's not. But most people say, you know, we have to have more. We have to have something else. We have to have something fresh. We have to have something tingly. His word is not only inerrant and infallible. It's all sufficient. It is all sufficient. It is ever sufficient. You know, the hardest people to converse with are those who say, the Lord told me, fill in the blank. They're the hardest people to speak to. You know why? Because after that, it's over. It should be. Because the Lord speaks authoritatively. There's no discussion after that point. The Holy Spirit has revealed to us truth. The truth is the person and the work of Christ recorded in the pages of Scripture. And you know what that does? That gives us stability. That's what John would tell the people that he wrote to. He said, don't be tossed to and fro by the spirits of the world and the doctrine that they teach that's outside of the Word of God. We have been given something to stand on. Stand on it. We're to wrestle with Scripture. And here's the thing. That's not sexy. It's not. It's, 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 it's not this thing where it's like, oh, you know, froofy. It's tough. And that's why people don't want to do it. But that's what we've been told to do. And you know what? We've been told that the Spirit of God makes much of Christ and where Christ is made much of is through His Word. And we can trust that with with the Spirit of God, we can wrestle. He will give us the endurance to wrestle with Scripture, to take it and to believe it and to trust it. And where there are things that are tough, to go through it knowing that it does not contradict itself. Knowing that it's solid. And we need to be a church that is up to that challenge. And we need, we need to be a church that does not back down from that challenge and try to take the easy way out. But instead, we come to the word and we wrestle with it. We need to be a church that emulates Christ. And how are we going to emulate Christ? Where are we going to know what Christ looks like? In the pages of Scripture. Where he's been revealed for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, working on the writers in that day, the apostles. And we need to be a church that does that because we need to eat a steady diet. We need to eat a steady diet of the bread of life and the meat of the Word, God, word of God. And you might think, Ben, that was crazy. That was a whirlwind for like 45 minutes. It's important, it is so important that we do these things, that we remember these truths about the Spirit of God. Because our friends, our neighbors, everybody else, and and sometimes the world, it's going to try to detract us, it's going to try to get us off of the end goal and and, and to focus on the means. And the means is saying, don't focus on me. Focus on Christ. Christ. Focus on the cross of Christ. Focus on the life of Christ, that he's alive now. And that the reason why I am in you is to, to make you like him and to bring him much glory. So let's consider that as we finish. And just as oftentimes I do, um, I like to share with you a hymn. Of doxology because after we look at something from the word and we look at theology we are we are drawn to doxology we are drawn to give God a glory word and one of the things that was brought to mind this week was this the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord she is his new creation by water and the word from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, and with his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. She is from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation: one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name. She blesses, partakes one holy food, and one hope. She presses, and with every grace endued. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those who hate her, and false sons in her pale, against both foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail." As we go into our time of of invitation, I would exhort you to pray as Spurgeon exhorts. And he says, It is the chief office of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. He does many things, but this is what he aims at in all of them. To glorify Christ. Brethren, what the Holy Ghost does must be right for us to imitate Therefore, let us endeavor to glorify Christ. To what higher ends can we devote ourselves than to something to which God, the Holy Ghost, devotes himself? Be this, then, your emotional prayer. Blessed Spirit, help me ever to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that be your prayer this morning. Let the Spirit guide you to the truth of life, to the truth incarnate. Let Him lead you to Christ. We sang earlier, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And the Spirit resonates with our hearts and says, you are exactly that's what it's all about. He is the one true God. Thank you for tuning in to the Canadian Streetlight podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or perhaps a podcast suggestion or topic, visit us online at CanadianStreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria.